Welcome to Power Up Club Week at Christian Family Chapel. It's a great, great Sunday for us. So if you're new and you don't know what this madness is about, let me describe Power Up Club just briefly for you. 14 years ago, we decided to take what is traditionally known as Vacation Bible School and turn it upside down. In other words, instead of inviting the community to come and see, we decided we would go and tell. And so this week, 200, more than 200 students and their leaders are going to into the community to go and tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. Phenomenal. Yes, that's... <clears throat> Super exciting is this year, they will be going to every single day, listen, every single day, 84 different places around this city proclaiming the gospel. That's pretty phenomenal. So if you're in South or in North and you are one of those 84 places that they'll be coming to, would you stand up and because we want to recognize our host homes. All right. Way to go. <laughs> Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. There you go. Stay standing. Stay standing. Yeah. Stay, stay standing up, please. Really, because it is this group. And by the way, this is half the group. The other half is in the other auditorium. And the other half over there is this is the other half over here. So super, super exciting. The privilege we have is to simply, in our inadequacy, knowing that we're weak, but he is strong, and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that we get to be proclaimers of it. And so this represents a lot of folks. You can imagine most of these folks in whatever color this is, is they're going to be living here this week as well. So the amount of food that will be prepared and consumed as this is home base for the next week, they all move in this afternoon. So if you come to church next week and it has a different aroma about it, (laughs) 200 teenagers, yeah, who don't believe in bathing actually spent the week. So it'd be an exciting, exciting time for us. We want to ask the Lord that we wouldn't just have a great week, but that it would be a powerful week for the gospel and the kingdom of God in this community. And so I want to ask everybody in each auditorium, if you'd stand together and let's cry out to God together that he would be at work in us and through us. Bow with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the great gift of your son alive and living in us. Thank you that we have opportunity not only to be made alive, but to be more alive every single day in Christ and to take the message of that glorious life of righteousness and eternity by the Spirit of God into this community. Lord, I pray that these students, every single one of them, would learn to, by faith, lead games, by faith, give their testimony, by faith, interact with students, by faith, share the gospel. And Lord, that you, to whom salvation belongs, you would, by your mercy and by your grace, would you open the eyes and the hearts of young people and parents all across this community. We are begging you, God, would there be whole families born again, redeemed 
by the gospel of grace. Would you work in that way, Lord, to the praise of your glory? We want to be your instruments. We want to be your vessels. And so here we are. We present ourselves to you. Present every one of those 84 front yards that they would become your field in which you are working. You are raising the dead. Thank you for the great privilege that we have to be your children and to be your instruments. We present ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much. Way to go, students. You can have a seat. So as they are filing out, let me remind you that there is a tremendous amount of work that happens all week of going and telling, but then... On Friday night, we have what we call Power Surge. And Power Surge is when the community comes and sees. So all week we go, Friday night they come here. So we will have a couple thousand people on campus Friday night. It will be a great time, especially, especially if whether you've had anything to do with Power Up Clubs or not, you come as well as host and hostess, that you would come and be hospitable to all the guests, all the community that will come on campus. I think sometimes folks think, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. It's not for me. Yes, this is your role. In fact, some of the hosts will be wiped out. Those who've been cooking all week, wiped out. It is really your time to step up and say, hey, I can help. We need 60 more volunteers to help hosting and helping put the night on. 60 more. So out in the courtyard, impact gazebo, say, hey, I'm available. I'd like to help Friday night. We try to provide two gifts to them Friday night. Water. And so if you would like to drop off a case or two or water this week, that's a great gift. Free water for anybody. And we try to provide them shade. You know that that back area where we host the party is, does not have a lot of shade. So if you have one of those 10 by 10 tents, we put them all around campus as providing shade. So if you have one of those and you wouldn't mind us using it, put your name on it, if you'd like it back anyway, put your name on it and drop it off this week and it'll be the gift of shade to folks on Friday night. So I hope you'll come and be good host for the community as they come to campus. It really is our largest all-church function that we do this week, and I hate for you not to be a part of it. Every evening, we meet in here at 8.30 as the students come back. We have a time of testimony and praise and worship with the band. I get to teach. You're invited to actually come and participate with this rule. You sit in the back, and you don't complain it's too loud. It's not for you. It's for the students. So bring your earplugs. It's, it's a phenomenal time of celebration and joy and being in the Word growing together. So you're welcome to come as long as you remember it's for the students. Some of you are going, hey, crank it up. That's great. So come and join us. We'll have a great time together each night this week, starting tonight. All right, to the scriptures. We are in Hebrews 11 talking about this huge word, faith, because time after time in this chapter, 
that we know of as Hebrews 11, the writer tells story after story of men and women who by faith did something. And we are studying this chapter in order that we would become people who would, by faith, live our lives as well. And so crucial to this series is having an accurate understanding of what faith is. So Hebrews 11.1 1 introduced us with this understanding. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Two keys. First, faith is not taking what people think of as a blind step. Faith is actually taking a step into what God has declared to be true, a promise he has made. What makes it faith is not that it's blind, it's that it's not yet visible. So you're taking a step based on what God has said to be true, even though it may not feel true, seem to be true, or look to be true. That's what makes it faith. It's, it's rooted in the promises of God. Second key, faith is not simply knowing what God says and saying, I believe what God says. Faith knows and believes, and it's demonstrated how? Action. I can never be stationary saying, I have faith. No, faith acts. Faith moves. What we'll see, person after person is by faith they did something. So it's not passive belief, nor is it a blind step. It is rooted in the promises of God revealed by action. You with me? You got those two keys. Because I want us to understand that our faith is rooted in what God has said. We're not coming up with willy-nilly stuff on our own that we're going to say, I'm going to do that by faith. No, we're going to do what God has promised and declared by faith. And what makes it faith is that it's action even though it's not yet seen. Okay? So that is what faith is about. We skipped a man last week because Jackie and I got to be gone. We were celebrating our 30th anniversary. So super grateful for that time away. Some thought, man, is your back still bad? No, my back got better for vacation. How about that? So uh, we skipped Noah. So we're going to come back this morning to Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. See, there's the faith. It's warning. It's God has said it. It's thus not seen. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. That's Hebrews 11, summary of what Noah did, his action based on what God had said. Here's the historical account, Genesis 6. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with, key word here, what? Violence. Why is that so key? For this reason. God had said he created the earth to declare his glory. He had created you and I to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with his glory. They had filled the earth, but with what? Violence. See, the, the language there, very specific. It, we were created to fill the earth with the glory of God. Instead, it was being filled with violence. 
because of them, another the people living on it. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. How? Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. Who's you? Noah. Noah, you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Who's the them? Okay, the animals. So God declares there is going to be something real but unseen. In other words, you understand, God was telling to Noah, something's going to happen that you have never seen before. And what was it, of course? It was a global flood. Not just any flood, not a localized flood, but a global flood was going to cover the earth. In other words, there would be no place to flee. If you went to the highest place on the planet, you might delay but you could not escape a global flood. Never happened before, and will it ever happen again? No, why do we believe that? (laughs) Because God promised, and he said, the rainbow in the sky is the reminder that I will never do this again. But do you understand that for Noah, he was being told by God, I am going to do something you have never seen and actually I have never done before. I want you to appreciate the faith that Noah expressed, his confidence in things not yet seen. What may be true is not, what is absolutely true is God promised a global flood, never seen before. What may be true is that they had never even seen rain before. Now, there's a whole science in this that I encourage you to look at But the easiest thing for me to show you is this. This is the lifespan of leading up to the flood and leading following the flood. This is Noah right here. So prior to the flood, with the exception of Enoch that we talked about two weeks ago, with the exception of Enoch, the average lifespan through Noah was over 900 years. Ten generations later, that's the first ten generations. Ten generations later is Abram and then Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. After the flood, less than 200 years. So there is a dramatic lifespan that changes after the flood. And many scientists would actually point to what happened with the flood was a vapor ring around the earth that actually was the source, part of the source of the water that flooded the full earth. And then as that receded, with that gone, lifespan on the earth dramatically 
diminished because the whole atmosphere on the planet changed with the flood. Lots more you can read about that. My point is this. Noah was acting on something that had never happened before, a global flood, and potentially acting on something that he had never seen before, rain. The equivalent of me telling you, it's going to dirt. Mm. He knew water. He didn't know rain. You know ground. You don't know dirting. And so I said, it's going to dirt and dirt and dirt. And so we need to build a steam shovel so that you can climb your way out no matter how much it dirts. That sounds absurd, doesn't it? You go, you've been watching too much TV. That's just a sense for what Noah was being told of God to do. I don't even potentially even know rain. I certainly don't even know flood. But he was said, this is what's going to happen. And faith is not a blind step, nor is it passive. So when God promised, what did Noah do? He acted on his faith. Second, he was, the promise but unseen was, and this might be even more, or just as supernatural as a global flood, was a global gathering. It's of every kind, animal, and creeping. And I simply gave that one because it really struck me this time that whatever the Bible calls creeping, we call creepy. (laughs) And every creepy thing. So if you want to creepy in there, it's kind of the same idea. Now, why is that supernatural? Because this is what it said in Genesis 6.20 if you didn't catch it when I read it to you. They will come to you. Noah, if you had this idea, Noah spent all these years trying to collect the animals and send his son. No. God said, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a flood, and I am going to cause the animals to come to you. I had a new thought in this study. Ever notice how animals have an ability to sense danger before human beings in natural disaster? And they start moving, and sometimes if you're really attentive, that is actually a warning to human beings. It strikes me that violence had so filled the earth that animals were able to understand and comprehend what the human heart was completely missing. And so they moved. God caused them to move to Noah because Noah would be the place where they would find Refuge. So there's this global gathering that is a supernatural work of God. Noah's actions are, are very clear. You know this probably quite well. He first prepared an ark, and we don't need to take any time laying that out. Simply drive to Kentucky, and you can see what the ark looks like. You can even have a burger in it. He prepared an ark. He gathered food, so they even have the food there for you, and then he brought the animals. I'm sure there's a petting zoo in the ark as well, so you can go experience all that in Kentucky now. Now, I don't want to diminish, again, what Noah did. Prepared an ark, gathered food, enough food, and then the Lord brought the animals, but he loaded them. 
here's what I hope you won't miss. Remember we said faith? Faith is not measured in size. Why? Because if we think we need big amounts of faith, that's reflective that we actually believe we have a small God. Jesus taught the opposite. He said, a mustard seed of faith is sufficient because of the greatness of your God. He said, you don't need large amounts of faith. What do you simply need to have? Faith in each moment. You don't need more faith. You need faith more. Noah might be our best example of faith more. In other words, for at age 500, he prepared, began to prepare an ark. At age 520, 20 years later, he was still preparing. 40 years later, he was still preparing. 60 years later, he's still preparing. 80 years later, he is still preparing. Seen? Hasn't seen anything. A hundred years, Noah prepared without seeing what God said he would do. That, folks, that, that wows me, that encourages me because we tend to think, man, he must have had great faith. No, what did he have? He had a seed of faith every single day. Except none of us simply get a step of faith per day. Our days are filled with countless opportunities. You with me? If we're going to live by faith, we make a hundred decisions of faith a day. So I get this overwhelming sense of Noah for a hundred years, 365 million decisions of faith more, faith more. Does that not compelling? Because for many of us, it's not a first step of faith or second step. It's often when we take a couple of steps of faith and we still don't see and we stop. That's been true for all of us. But we've ta- for the couple that Jackie and I were trying to encourage in their marriage, they were really coming apart at the seams. And so sat down with them and said, look, here's what the Scripture says for the husband. Here's what the Scripture says for the wife. Yes, we agree. Yes, we'll do. Take a step. 24 hours later, it didn't work. Didn't work. Now, it, it, was, it was so quick, it was almost comical. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you really think you were going to undo 15 years of destruction with 24 hours of one step of faith? But it's a reminder to me how often... Do we take a step based on the promise of God, a second step based on the promise of God, maybe a third step based on the promise of God, the fourth, the promise of God is still just as true as it was with the first step, but we don't see, so what do we do? We stop. I mean, really, do do you think at any point Noah was like, 
give me a rain shower or something. Could we have like a local flood? Something that would, would encourage me, my eyes. I say that because so many, for example, Christian marriages fail, not because people didn't take a step or two of faith, but because they stopped. And I hope Noah can become really one of our greatest encouragements of someone who sees it's, it's just another step of faith today. The promises I acted on yesterday, they're still true today. I'm going to step. The promises I acted on last year, they're still true today. I'm not going to stop. Please, some of you, I know, I know life is hard and you're weary and you think maybe because of chronic pain, this is never going to end. How do I really take a step of faith again today? Can Noah please be your encouragement? Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, without seeing anything change, a step of faith. He kept preparing. He still gathered. He still brought them into the ark and there was still nothing in sight that said a flood was coming. So, what were the consequences? Well, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. The consequence of Noah's actions, his faith, was that he saved his household. And when we think of that, we tend to think about Noah's household of his wife, his children, his sons, their wives. But as I looked at the previous generations around Noah, I remembered that many generations survived one another. Enoch's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather alive. And so when I look at the ten generations, and I'm going to have to run through this quickly, this is Noah's dad, Noah's grandfather, Methuselah. And I started to think, whoa, what happened to them with the flood? Because normally, (laughs) they would still be alive long before Noah. Lamech died five years before the flood. Now, you may go, I I don't get it. Well, I began to think, oh, was Lamech alive when the flood took place? No, he died five years before. So he watched his son by faith for 95 years prepare. What struck me was Lamech, if you figure it out, lived 100 years less than the average of his generations and only died five years before the flood. So another reminder, our days are in his hands. But what about Methuselah, the man who lived the longest on the planet? If you do the math, here's what you find. Methuselah died the year of the flood. And when I did the math, I thought, oh, no. Did Methuselah die in the flood? It's possible. 
We don't know what time of the year, but when you do the math, he died the very same year as the flood. And I thought, is it possible that he heard and watched his grandson prepare an ark for a hundred years and didn't believe? So I studied some more. Methuselah's dad was Enoch, the, the man who walked with God. When Methuselah was born with Enoch knowing not a bit of what God was going to do in the future, Enoch named his son Methuselah. You know what it means? When he dies, it shall be sent. I had never, I had never knew any of this, and so I just found it fascinating. Again, God is working in ways that we will never know, never see, never doubt that he is working. So, if I'm guessing, if I'm guessing, Methuselah died within months of the flood taking place. Enoch never knew, I doubt, never knew what he was actually doing when he named his son. When he dies, it shall be sent. That hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years later, 900 years later, when Methuselah died, within months, the whole world would perish in a flood. Now, all that I find to be fascinating, but it's a reminder that we have responsibility for our household. Second, it says, by which he condemned the world, and third, and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So, The consequences of Noah's faith is that he saved his household and he condemned the world. In other words, for a hundred years, preparing an ark is a quite the object lesson. And fourth, uh, third, excuse me, that he became an heir of righteousness by faith. In other words, Noah, Noah was not saved because of his works. Noah was saved because of his faith. And faith was demonstrated by his works. But never, never be confused that we are only saved, we're only heirs of righteousness, not by works, but by faith. That's the direct, the, the announcement about Noah. His faith saved him. His faith impacted his household and his faith impacted his world. So, will there be another global flood? No. The, the scripture is decidedly said, no, we do not need to fear a global flood. But here's what the scripture does say. The end of all things is near. Do you believe that? You do? Because this is your Noah moment. I'm serious. Noah was told the world is going to end by cataclysmic flood. I've never seen that before. But God has said it. And the world is going to end in a way we've never seen before. Do you believe it? Here's what's funny about this. Remember, we can say we believe, but faith is never a passive belief. It has Action. So guess what the next word after the end of all things is near is? Therefore. In other words, all right, you, you say you believe, 
Here's the evidence that you and I simply don't espouse intellectually the world, the end is near. There will be evidence. And the evidence is often compelling because when you and I think the end is near, what do we wonder? Well, what's near mean? Near is in near, near? Or near is in near? Because if near is near, near, then that's going to compel me to action. But if near is near there, then I got time, right? So, do we believe the end is near? Here's the evidence fourfold. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. In other words, if you say you believe the end is near, what will be evidence? Prayer. In other words, do you pray as one who believes the end is near? Second, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Third, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Fourth, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the, the manifold grace of God. Two examples. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you believe the, you believe the end is near. You believe that what God said to Noah really happened. You believe what God says is really going to happen? You believe that? All right. If you do, there's a life of readiness, faith-filled. In fact, you might want to add that to your title. A life of faith-filled readiness that includes four actions. First, that you'd be prayerful. Prayerful. People who believe the end is near, pray. About what? See, because all of us pray. Um, oh, we're going on vacation, spent a lot of money. Could you please give us sun? Now, is that a wrong prayer? No. Is that an end is near prayer? <laughs> no, that's not a, Lord, my knee is just messing me. I can't play my tennis. Could you help my knee? Is that an okay prayer? Yeah. Is that an end is near prayer? No, you, you see, I'm not saying that we don't pray about things that are important to us. I'm saying there are prayers that are, the end is near prayers. What are they? I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> so, so the end is near prayer, praise, well, at least these three things from Noah. Am I ready? Are, are you? If you believe the end is near, are you ready? Like Noah was ready. Not through an ark, but through the person of Jesus Christ. Very seriously here. We live in a culture that really says the way we determine our eternity is by our morals, what we do and what we don't do. And that's not true. The way we determine our eternity is by what we believe about ourselves 
and a person. Meaning, I must, if I am going to be ready for the end that is near, I must believe that I am deserving of God's wrath. I I am much worse than not just perfect. I'm guilty before a holy God. That I am deserving of and headed toward an eternal separation from God because of my sin. That's humbling. But unless you're prepared to believe that about yourself, you're not ready. Second, not only believe about me, but believe about Jesus. That Jesus Christ has taken the penalty that I have deserved upon himself. And when he died on the cross, he was not dying for a cause. He was dying to take the punishment that we deserved on him as our substitute. So I believe I'm deserving of God's wrath, but I believe that God has taken that punishment and poured it out on his son. And therefore, all I can do is receive it as a gift. Very seriously, the end is near. Have you admitted to God that you're a sinner, believed in Jesus, and received his grace as a gift? That is the only way you, you are ready for the end is near. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being a better husband, being a better wife, being a better parent. It's not about reading your Bible more or praying more. It's about Jesus Christ. He is your ark. You know what I mean by that? He is your Savior. Second, is my household ready? Noah was not only declared an heir of the righteousness by faith, he saved his household. Is your household ready? And third, is the world ready? Another word. You know what I mean by that? (laughs) An end is near prayer, praise, recognizing that it's just not me. It's just not my family. It's the entire globe that is under the judgment of God that is near. And they need to know the message of salvation. Do you ever pray for those who have never heard? Or for those who are on the other side of the globe that you will never meet. But you know, apart from the saving grace of God in Jesus, are doomed for a Christless eternity. See, it's not that I can't pray for my knee, my ankle, and for sunshine. It's just those aren't end-is-near prayers. End-is-near prayers looks at my own heart. Am I ready? Looks at my household. Does my family know the gospel? Are they seeing it lived out? And am I engaged in being a part of proclaiming the hope of salvation in Jesus to a lost world? Those are the end is near prayers. So do you believe? Your prayers will tell you. Second, it doesn't just stop with our prayers. 
He says, a life of faith-filled readiness is to be prayerful and is to be fervent in love. To be fervent in love. In other words, the way we function as a church ought to say to a watching world, like a construction of an ark said to a watching world in Noah's day, the way we relate as a church ought to say to a watching world, the end is near. Look at the way they love one another. In other words, end ought to increase fervency of love. And if you want to see it lived out, never made this connection before until this study, Read John 13, Jesus in the upper room. Just write it down. Read John 13, the opening verses, and you'll see Jesus demonstrating he believed the end was near, therefore love fervently. Read John 13, the opening three verses. Not right now. (laughs) Please. Third, be hospitable. The end is near. Be hospitable. And honestly, you kind of go, really? The end is near, let's have coffee? That seems like a little shallow, Doug. I'm not sure how that one made the list. So what in the world does hospitality have to do with the end is near? Let's not have coffee, let's run. (laughs) Well, what's hospitality have to do with the end is near? Well, it's because we don't get hospitality. Hospitality in its biblical sense is the welcome of strangers. In other words, we think the end is near. What about me? What about my loved ones? Hey, what about strangers? I don't know. I got my tickets on the ark. I don't know about them. That's how we can get. You know, I hate to say this, but the history of Christian Family Chapel for years was They are committed to the scriptures, and they are incredibly unfriendly. Some of you have been around long enough to know that that was our reputation in this community. Big on the scriptures, terribly unfriendly. And we're, by the grace of God, that's not so true at CFC. We're far from perfect. But please don't ever think of hospitality, the welcome of strangers, as shallow. It is actually so rich, it's identified it as one of the four critical actions for those who believe judgment's coming. Because it demonstrates I care for more than just me and my little circle. So if you have come to CFC and your experience has been, wow, you guys used to be terrible if you're better now. If your your experience has been, you haven't found us friendly. If I can, I want to say I'm sorry. Because that is not the body of Christ. That is not what you should experience at church. One of our staff met a guy down the street in a gas station. Invited him. He said, uh, 
I don't, I don't do well with church. And then he said, well, actually, church doesn't do well with me. What's he telling us? He said, I, I've been. I, I look a little different. I sound a little different. People are afraid of me. That is not Christ. We should be fervent in our love for one another, and that love for one another should extend into hospitality towards people we have never met. You see somebody here you have never met, it is Christ in you that welcomes them. And it is grieving the Holy Spirit when people climb in their cars and walk and drive out of here and go, that place was not friendly. Oh, there was a lot of friends. I just was on the out. It is not Jesus. The end of all things is near. Yes, be prayerful, very spiritual. Love fervently, very spiritual. Be hospitable, just as spiritual. Just as important. And CFC, can I add a word to us? What if we stopped only being more hospitable and we added the word invitational? When's the last time you said, hey, saw you at the gas station, why don't you come? When's the last time you invited somebody in? You weren't just responsive to those who had the guts to come. (laughs) You actually invited them, and you picked them up, or you met them in the courtyard. Or you met them, and you invited them into your home, or you invited them to go to lunch, or you invited them into your family group. Because everybody wants to have a part. We could grow. We could grow. We have been growing in hospitality. We could grow a whole lot more in invitation, which is certainly a part of hospitality, isn't it? The welcome of strangers is the inviting of them in. Well, these could be a whole other four-week series, but you know how that stuff gets away from me. So, um, finally, verse 10 and 11, be speaking, be serving, and and to do it supernaturally. There There ought to be something profoundly supernatural about our lives. Now, that may be overwhelming to you. Be overwhelmed then. There ought to be something profoundly supernatural about the way we speak and the way that we serve. Certainly those kids that surrounded us this morning, you better believe all week I will be pleading with them and calling them to serve and speak supernaturally. Because our intent is not to go put Christian Family Chapel on display in this community. It's to put Christ on display. And he's supernatural. And when it's his words speaking through us, and when it's his strength, this is what the text says, when it's his strength in our serving, then people go, wow, Jesus. Not wow, CFC. We're not interested in that. Wow, Jesus. That's supernatural.
And if there's nothing supernatural about us, if there's nothing supernatural about our marriages, our family, our personal lives, our conversations, our serving, then really, what are we? A club? We're the body of Christ. Christ wrapped in our humanity so that we in this community would be a declaring voice as Noah was to his generation. The end is near. Jesus is your ark. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you supernaturally living and declaring that to this generation? May it be, by faith, Mike speaks. By faith, Jack serves. By faith, Billy leads. By faith, we prepare. We pray. We love. We're hospitable. We serve and speak. Father, we're giving ourselves to you trusting that you will be our adequacy. That as you supernaturally worked on behalf of Noah, that you would supernaturally be at work in us and through us. That you would be building your church in this community and your name would be made great. That violence would be not what fills this community, but the gospel of grace would fill this community. Because we are living by faith. We give ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. You're welcome to join us tonight, 830.